sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast our service. If you have any feedback, comments, suggestions or criticism, we would love to hear from you. We do request you include your name and contact information. River FM is unable to accept anonymous feedback. Simply email feedback at 2ncr.org.au. That's feedback at 2ncr.org.au. Thank you and stay tuned to your local community radio station, River FM 92.9. Double demerits come into force this long weekend, which means if you're caught speeding, using a mobile phone illegally, or not wearing a seatbelt or motorcycle helmet, you're in for double the points. And lost points can quickly add up to a lost license. So with double demerits this holiday period, you can stop it or cop it. Sponsoring River FM 92.9. Doesn't my heart go dancing? Spring is here. Why isn't the waltz entrancing? No desire, no ambition leads me. Maybe it's because nobody needs me. Spring is here. Why doesn't the breeze delight me? Stars appear. Why doesn't the night invite me? Maybe it's because nobody loves me. Spring is here, I
Well, for the Frank Sinatra lovers, I'm sorry, but that's all the Frank Sinatra we're going to be playing today. Two in a row. I did think one of those was going to be Nancy, but the Gremlins must have done something to it, and it turned into Frank. (laughs) But uh, we do like to achieve some gender balance. And speaking of some gender balance, we have uh, Bridie Schmidt on the phone. Uh, She's a lead reporter for The Driven, sister side of Renew Economy. She specialises in writing about new technology as well as using her technical skills in managing our websites. She's uh, got an impressive list of articles here on The Driven website uh, about uh, electric vehicles and the changeover that's occurring quite rapidly in our personal transport system. Hi, Bridie. Hey, how are you going? Good, good. Thanks so much for, for calling in. Where are you? Uh, I am in regional New South Wales in a little town called Murrurundi. Murrurundi. And it's about 100 k south of Tamworth. Is it looking uh, dry out there? Any prospect of rain, do you reckon? Uh, the locals are hoping for some, but, um, yeah, it's a bit muggy. Hopefully they'll get some. Well, we can only hope. Yeah. But, so you're, you're driving up from Sydney with, uh, with a new toy, I hear. Yes. I am. I just got a plug-in hybrid Outlander made by Mitsubishi. Um, sort of my first personal foray into owning an EV. Yep. Um, yeah. How is it? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's um, look. I, 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 I for, for those readers who um, sort of aren't across the difference between EVs, which is electric vehicles, and PH EVs, which is plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. Plug-in hybrids have a petrol engine as well as a smaller battery um, and a range that's quite a bit shorter than the full electric vehicles. But for my purposes, I work from home. I maybe drive 30, 40 kilometres a day. Uh, This car has about 40 kilometres of range in the battery. So I thought for me, it will be a good way to tide over until I'm in the market for a full electric vehicle, which is the direction I'd like to go in personally, yeah. You and you and every other Australian by the by the sounds of it. It, sound, it sounds oh. perfect. It's a bit like uh, what they had, the Prius was based on that technology, wasn't it? Most people will be familiar with those taxis, the Prius. Yeah, yeah, and the Corollas and the Camis, they are a bit different though because those are just hybrids. You can't plug them in. So oh. Toyota likes to sell them as a self-charging hybrid, but what that basically means is that you have to use petrol to be able to get some electric driving in. They are more efficient than a normal petrol or diesel vehicle. Um, but if you've got a plug-in hybrid, obviously you can do cool things like if you've got solar charged at home for completely free and yeah. and really get away from petrol if for short-distance trips. So not wanting to plug the brand too much, but an Outlander, you're saying, is that a, is that a four-wheel drive, an all-wheel drive or something, an off-road vehicle? Oh, uh, look, yeah, it's just your standard sort of SUV. Um, it's... Uh, I think it's all-wheel drive. I've only had it a few days. So I'm still, <laughs> still getting used to it. But there's a couple. There's a couple of plug-in hybrids out there from different car makers. There's yep. a um, Hyundai Ioniq you can get, and um, oh, I'm just trying to think. What else? I'm having a blank. Oh, no. Mercedes, but I mean, who wants one of those anyway? <laughs> who wants one of those? Well, you know, like I might put my hand up if it was one going for nothing, but uh, we'll yeah, see. sure. <laughs> <laughs> A bit out of my price range, but a lot of people out there are loving them. Apparently, the new normal electric vehicle sales double in Australia. Petrol car sales slump. Now, that's a good news story. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, look, um, some some of the articles I write are based on, you know, uh, 
automotive chamber statistics and, and there's actually been now an 18-month downturn in petrol and diesel electric vehicle sales and there's also corresponding research done by market analysis firms such as Roy Morgan who um, the data coming from there suggests that people are actually beginning to um, hold on to their old vehicles rather than go and buy a new petrol or diesel vehicle because they're waiting for... Um, there's, there's lots of new electric vehicle options that will be coming onto the Australian market over the next couple of years. Well, I know um, I am. There's still a, just a handful of them here at the moment. Um, but the most significant one that's just arrived is the sort of mass market, they call it, Model mm. 3 from Tesla. So people might be a little bit... Um, have seen the, the Model S or the Model X around with the, you know, nice Schmico T logo on the front. Yeah, uh, but they're quite expensive. They're well over a hundred thousand dollars, and out of the budget of many people, um, the Model Three is still not on the cheap side because battery costs for electric vehicles are still quite high. That should come down in time, but um, you, um, you can get a Model Three now, and 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 there's been people waiting for them for about three years um, since it was announced that they'd be coming here. Yeah, so it's it's saying that you you've written that it's uh, in the month of September Tesla delivered more electric uh, Model Three EVs uh, in in Australia than its entire sales tally of Model S and Xs. That's correct, and sort of based on look, Tesla doesn't give localized sales data, so. Um, the information that we get comes from, um, you know, people familiar with the matter um, and from reports of, um, you know, how many um, are coming in on ships, etc. So we, we do know that, and we also know that Tesla has just been, like, shoulder against the grindstone trying to deliver vehicles to people um, sort of the numbers are sort of like a hundred per day from each of the Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne showrooms. Wow. I think a little less in Brisbane, but yeah. So what that indicates is that there's a huge amount of these vehicles being delivered to people since about mid-August. Um, it's really ramped up last month in September, and when you look at the fact that up until um, the end of last year there were only maybe a couple of thousand electric vehicles sold in Australia ever. Yeah. The numbers of the Model 3s that are now being delivered are basically blowing the market out of the water. Well, you're saying in your article that you've got uh, somewhere between 1,500 and 1,200 as a conservative estimate, but even at 1,200, it equates to around 5% of the monthly sales of all new passenger vehicles in the country. Yeah, so look, you know, the first three ships, there was one source that did confirm with us that the first three ships that arrived with Model 3s from California... Um, held 2,414 of these vehicles. And that's just the first three ships. Wow, and that would constitute around 10% of the monthly sales. Look, it's massive, it's massive. So, you know, it's, uh, I guess, car makers are... It's, it's an interesting picture for car makers in Australia. Um, the shift to electric mobility is really underway overseas. In places like California and Europe, there's very strict fuel emissions regulations, which are forcing car makers to um, have a lower average um, grams of carbon dioxide emitted per kilometre. Yep. So to do that, they have to sell these vehicles. Um, we don't have the same fuel regulations emissions here. No. So the, car the dealers here, what they're up against is getting enough cars 
that to, to service this growing interest in EVs here from the overseas factories, because obviously we don't make cars here anymore. No. Um, but Thanks, Tony, Tony, by we're, the way. We're at risk of becoming a dumping ground of less efficient vehicles as car makers, you know, sort of eke out the rest of their, the investment that they've made in developing these petrol and diesel vehicles. They want to try and sell the rest of their inventory. Where can they sell them? Right. Australia. Wow. Yeah. Australia gets to be the dumping ground again. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, it just it illustrates the importance of, um, you know, saying to our representatives in government that we want fuel emissions regulation standards. Yeah, we, so, want, we, we don't want to be drag, dragging the chain on this and getting the second best of the world's leftovers. We want to be uh, leading the charge and getting, getting the best of everything that they have to offer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and why not? Um, obviously, it's a beautiful country and, and why not look after it? And mm. that includes, you know, our personal transport. I think we've had a really great shift to rooftop solar here. Mm. I think I read, I, I don't write about solar, but I think I read that we have the largest kilowatts per capita or something. Yeah, we're certainly leading the world. We have like 20% of rooftops now and, and that sort of thing. It sounds like it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's certainly taking off. It's a, there's a solar boom going on, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. And look, so it's a great opportunity for people that are interested in, you know, lowering their carbon footprint, etc. If you can fit an EV into your budget and then you can charge it off the sun for free, you know, you're laughing. And the oh. other interesting thing about electric vehicles, which actually I'll just tell a little story. Yeah. Because I ran, I was trying to charge, well, I was charging my car before I left Sydney this morning at Broadway Shopping Centre and I was standing waiting for the elevator to go and use the loo before I left Sydney. And there was this lady there and I said to her, oh, you got, she wasn't driving an EV. I said, oh, you've got, um, you, you got the secret park because there's like two non-EV parks there. Oh, yeah. And she rolled her eyes and said, oh, yeah, bloody electric vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just led off into a really bizarre conversation where she was sort of saying, oh, you know, I mean, so, don't tell me about solar panels. They're an environmental disaster. Oh. People are chopping down trees to put up solar farms. And I'm just... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I think I've lost my train of thought there a little bit. But, no, um, but it, well, it's, uh, I mean, it sounds like it's indicative of, the, of the, the weight of EVs coming onto the market, that people could be starting to be irritated about the fact that, that their petrol uh, or diesel guzzler, uh, their infernal combustion motor, is, is now taking second place in some, some positions. And look, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about them, and this sorry brings it back to why I was telling that story. Mm. Is that one of the things she said to me was, "Well, oh, first of all, she said, oh, do you own a Tesla?'" <laughs> I said, "No, actually, I just bought a plug-in hybrid. It's over there." Mm. And um, she asked me how much it cost, and um, because I mean, I got it second-hand. It's within my budget, and mm. it suits my my needs at the time. Mm. Um, and then she said, "Oh." Well, you do know that they're a lot more expensive to, to maintain. And um, <laughs> the thing is, there is still, you know, normal uh, petrol engine, internal combustion engine maintenance costs with a plug-in hybrid. But with a fully electric vehicle, you've got a much simpler drivetrain. You, mm. you don't have... Uh, it's sort of like about 40 parts. Yep. compared to about 400. Yep. The maintenance costs of electric vehicles are so much lower. Yep. 
Oh, look, um, the, the yeah. idea of getting the car that you've just bought it sounds very exciting to me. I, I, I'm looking forward to, like you said before, some people holding on to their, their infernal combustion motors so that they, so they can get an electric vehicle. That's exactly what I'm doing because I have, uh, you know, like a long way to travel from my farm to uh, town and, yeah. uh, and I have solar panels on the farm. I'd be very happy to be able to charge up the car and drive to town for free. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a, right. a huge saving off my weekly budget where I'm spending, you know, potentially spending $50 or more a week on fuel, uh, this is a way that I could cut that substantially. That's right. And so, you know, like if if you are sort of person who is, you know, happy to look at, say, getting a loan for an EV, you can factor those costs into your savings. So, Mm. you know, if you look at your budget and go, well, that's going to save me 50 bucks a week, then, you know that's money that you can put towards a new purchase if, if that's what you wanted to do. But look, there are second-hand options out there. Yep. Um, one of the interesting things that has also come out of um, one of these Roy Morgan reports is that there is actually an increase in interest in second-hand EVs. So what's interesting about that is that there aren't that many on the market. No. Like you're looking at less than 200 on any given day on car sales. Right. So so they'd have to be um, retaining their value quite well, wouldn't they? They do. They do retain their value a lot better. Actually, I was just having a look before you called me. I was brushing up on a few things because, look, this uh, Outlander has cost me about around 20 grand. Right. It's five years old. Right. New, it was probably around 50 grand. Oh, no. Um, there are also, you can get Holden Vaults. Now, I think this is interesting because they haven't sold in Australia since 2014, but there are a couple of them on car sales, 2012, 2013 models. Now, they've got up to, they say, up to 80 kilometres of driving range, which in reality probably means between 50 and 70, depending on factors like how cold the day is and how you drive the car, that sort of thing. But those are still selling. This is a seven-year-old car. $25,000. $25,000. Wow. That's yeah. a good investment, isn't it? If you can get a car that's going to retain its value like that, that's uh, that's a good place to put your cash, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, markets change, so you can't always, like, plan ahead like that. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely indicative of the fact that they, that the longer lifespan and um, that these cars have compared to, you know, and the high maintenance costs of petrol and diesel. Mm, mm. It does. It does mean that they will be inherently more valuable, doesn't it? Well, there's, there's like in, in another article you've said Norway and US service stations are ripping out petrol pumps for EV chargers. Yes. Well, there's a, there's at least one example of each that we know of. Um, in Norway, they just uh, it, the, a Circle K in Oslo. They just removed it's the first service station to do this. Yep. Um, in Norway, and they've removed all of their yeah, all of their petrol pumps and just put in EV chargers. Now, for those of people out there that probably don't know this, Norway is the market leader or the leader by market share mm-hmm. for EVs. They have about sixty percent of cars on the road are electric vehicles now. Really? Wow. Their yeah. tradies, their tradies must be really feeling the pinch, eh? Hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think they're doing okay. <laughs> Oh yeah, we were. What were you saying earlier, Jeff, about the the, the, the Maserati? Yeah, well, Maserati Maserati has plans for putting out a Ute. Um, hi, yeah. Brody, it's Jeff. Yeah, here. hi, how are you going? I'm, I've yeah, been listening they, in they, the background. You're doing a great job. Yeah, thank you. 
Yeah, that was a, a, a funny little story. I mean, you know, like there's all of these like luxury sports car makers that are going, yeah, we're going to do EV because um, EVs have got this amazing instant torque. So they're really great as, you know, like... Oh, no grunt. They get off the mark really quickly. Yeah, there yeah, There should be yeah. a lot of ears pricking up all around the country as we speak. Yeah, well, that, that's right. And that's why, you know, the stuff that came out of the coalition last election about electric cars was so... Stupid. Just, Ludicrous. Yeah. Misinformed. Well, not even misinformed. I'm sure they were very Fake news, Brody. It's yeah, the exactly. flavour of the day. Exactly. And so there's lots of people out there who've sort of taken all that on board and they think that EVs aren't a worthwhile alternative as a form of transport, but they definitely are. Well, that's saying here, you've also another one of the, your articles that I've, I've you know, got in front of me is uh, how fast can you charge your electric vehicle from trickle to ultra-rapid charging? So what, what is the story there? And that's another one of these, uh, these, these fake news stories that get around is that, you know, you're going to have to wait forever to charge anything up. Is that, is that yeah, the case? Yeah, nine to ten hours. Well, look, that, that actually is true, but in a certain situation. So your average normal pure electric battery size is like the, Nissan, the new Nissan Leaf has got a 40 kilowatt hour battery and, and the, the more high spec cars will have maybe like a 100 kilowatt hour battery. If you're charging at home, which you can do, and that's a really nice way to think about EV charging on mm. a daily basis is like your mobile phone. You take it home, you plug it in at night, mm. in the morning it's ready to go. So in that situation, when you're charging off about two kilowatts from your just normal trickle charger, i.e. your 240 volt power point, that is how long it's going to take, but that's okay. Yep. Um, yeah, because you've got that time. You're asleep. Why not? Yeah, that's right. And then, look, if, if, if you want something, if you want it to be able to charge a bit faster, you can get a specialised um, special wall charge installed at home, um, and that will change, I think, from 16 amps up to 32 amps, and then you'll be charging at about 7 kilowatts. So that increases the charge time um, by about three times. So, right. you know, you're looking at three to four hours charge your vehicle. What, what, um, what about at service stations, Brody? So we, we don't have people ripping out service stations, petrol pumps at service stations yet, but we do have a number of DC fast charging networks that are being rolled out. Um, there's one being an example being the one rolled out by the NRMA across um, coastal and some of regional New South Wales. Um, they just opened one up at the farm at Byron. Oh, yeah, right. Um, so they charge at 50 kilowatts. So if you've got a car with a 50 kilowatt hour battery, it'll take an hour to charge that car, that battery. So you stop at a friendly cafe, uh, have a coffee and uh, maybe something to eat and, uh, and then wait for you, and your charged, car's charged by the time you're ready to hop back in it. Yeah, that's right. And look, the way NRMA have worked out where they're going to put all of their charging units is um, with an average 200 kilometres in between each town that has them mm -hmm. and then they've worked out with algorithms or whatever that it will cover like 95% of usual travel in the state. So you might not get out to Broken Hill but you will be able to travel around most of New South Wales. It's a big state, 95% is not bad. Hours, yeah, doing anyway. you're going to yeah. need a snack by the time you get in 200Ks. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what about your battery life doing fast charges like that? Does it compromise the length of life of your battery or the cycles? So um, from what I know, I'm not an expert on this, but there is a sweet spot and it's the same for your laptop battery or your mobile battery. If you want to get the best longevity, you need to um, char keep it charged from between 20 to 
mm-hmm. is possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and some of the more modern EVs have also got automatic battery conditioning. So you can use the interface on the car to plug in the charger that you want to drive to. And then um, as you get close to that charger, it will start conditioning the battery so that when you get there, it will um, charge at the optimum rate. Wow. And just, yeah, help maintain your battery health. That's interesting. Fantastic. Hmm. Look, Bridie, uh, look, before we let you go, um, I just wanted to quickly land one on you just to, to, out of the blue, but it's <laughs> a, the uh, Zero Emissions Conference. Can you tell me anything about that? Um, do you mean the EV Forum? Yeah, it's uh, yeah the EV forum, the EV charging. Yeah. Yeah. So so we had the first inaugural um, zero sorry yes zero emissions Byron forum for electric vehicles last well this gosh when was it? It was June. I'm pretty sure. Right. <laughs> last few few months have flown by. Yeah. Um, so that was really great because we um, were able to get a couple of EVs from. Um, various businesses that, that use them in their um, day-to-day um, life, and an EV hire company, and also some local owners. Um, and also present a bunch of talks from people in the industry sort of talking about the various issues that the industry faces and how to, you know, make step forwards. Mm-hmm. And, and some really interesting things come out of it, like um, the fact that the Nissan Leaf, for example, has what's called bidirectional charging, which means that not only can you charge it up from your home, but, for example, maybe in a blackout, you can oh. use the car to charge your home. Fantastic. So, yeah, so there's some really interesting applications that will come out of that. Um, and, you know, you go in depth into that, but it starts to get sort of things like, you know, if we have um, enough electric vehicles that have bi-directional charging capability, they can actually help support the grid and yeah. help, yeah, so all that sort of technical energy so management. So, Bridie, that, that point's been a sort of a goal of the industry for a while, um, but I did hear a talk from somebody who'd worked on Teslas saying mm-hmm. that because of the size of the battery and the cooling requirements, it was unlikely that um, for the foreseeable future we would have much sort of input in, into the grid system from the cars. But you're saying that they've um, overcome that to some degree? Well, Nissan, Nissan Leaf have done it. Look, I, yeah, I don't know about all of the really technical stuff to do with that, but Nissan Leaf, the, the latest one that's just come to Australia, does have bidirectional charging. And to my knowledge, they're just doing some tests and they'll actually um, make it, like, activate it by the end of the year. In regards to using them on a broad-based scale to support the grid, there's a... Um, an Australian company called GreenSync is a, um, either they've started or they're um, um, starting soon a trial with Wellington Electricity to do exactly that. So um, there's heaps of leafs in New Zealand. Yep. Well, well. Um, yeah, and so it, it's a, a great country to be able to trial this technology with. Well, that'll be a game changer for the whole electricity grid. And yeah. supply network. That's that's a really exciting mm. development, isn't it? That's the other great. one that I wanted to ask you about, if you know anything about Bridie, is again out of the blue, is uh, is the, um, the 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 light trucks and and uh, transport sort of uh, I- industry. Um, yep. I had had a bit of experience in that area myself, and I just uh, I always uh, I've heard things about uh, that uh, that uh, certain companies are now going to make their last mile, uh, you know, zero carbon and that sort of thing. I think it was IKEA. Do you know much about the, that light truck space? 
Yeah, the IKEA. I, I'm pretty sure IKEA. <coughs> excuse me. Are using trucks from a company called Sea Electric in Melbourne that um, they buy sliders, which is basically a body without a drivetrain. <coughs> excuse me, truck sliders, and then they are putting in their own patented electric drivetrains for trucks, and they're actually getting a bit of interest over in the US as well, which is you know really great to see. Australian companies starting to get back into the vehicle manufacturing industry again. Yeah, wow. way to go. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I can hear we're, uh, we've, we've, we've worn you out. <laughs> we have, but <laughs> we do appreciate it. <laughs> You've got so much. Oh, it's been lovely talking with you. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's awesome. And so, look, let's do this again. Let's let's try and get you in on a regular basis or a semi-regular basis to fill us in on what's going on in this space. It's so exciting for everyone out yeah, there lovely. to hear about. Yeah, cool. Yeah, definitely. Good stuff. Good on you, Brady. We'll travel safely. And will do. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. And enjoy that new car. Yeah, yeah, off Ooh. again on the road now. Thanks, guys. Cheers, no mate. worries. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Bridie Amelia, uh, Bridie Schmidt, for her uh, contribution there, and we'll, uh, we're going to a track.
It's great with eight. Five plus three years extended warranty on selected split system air conditioners during October 2019 only. Hurry, don't miss out. Cummings Byright, Lismore and Yamba, a station sponsor.
springtime of his voodoo from Tori Amos and before that we had the go-betweens spring rain now if you can pick what today's theme is for the music ring us up and I'll give you a throwaway earth everybody wants one we've even turned the phone on now the phone's even (laughs) on if you tried to call earlier somebody left the button pressed that should have been unpressed so there you go bloody gremlins uh, anyway, that was a great interview with uh, Bridie Schmidt from The Driven. Yeah, it's good when people really know their stuff, isn't it? Oh, that's uh, really impressive. Good. And good when you've got a good news story to tell yeah. with uh, positive action that people can take. This is, this is something which is an opportunity for, for everybody out there who drives a car. Absolutely. But like the renewables on roofs, mm. on rooftop solar, you know, um, these are the good stories, mm. the good news stories. These are the um, industries of the future and mm. all we've got to do is embrace them. Mm. And it sounds, with sounds like Australians are embracing them with well. a fervour with the EVs doubling over the last 12 months. That's there goes impressive. my hopes for a cheap second-hand one. Well, you know, that's right. I, mean, I guess those, uh, those figures will have to change as the market gets uh, gets. Well, it sounds like shiplades of them coming in from the Tesla 3s, mm. so um, that's mm. fantastic. Yeah, and, It's and been very slow to start, hasn't it? It has been slow to start, but it's 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 picking up. But also, of course, the, the cheap ones are the ones that you don't have to pay for petrol in. That's the other cheap well, thing. You know, and you don't have true. to pay for all of those, uh, those 400 moving parts, only 40 moving parts, Bridie was saying. And most of Australians live in towns, so mm. most of them don't need the extended range. No. There is an argument, you know, for the country folk that they need to have at least a hybrid where they can get extra mileage or extra range, mm. but um, most people live in cities. Very few people live more than 40 k's from a town. There's a, there, I live in a very remote location. My farm is out there way out in the back of Kyogle, and, uh, we, you know, we, we are, by, by local standards, extremely remote. I mean, I know there are people out in the, the back blocks of Australia who are more remote, but they are vanishingly small numbers i could get by with a 40 kilometer range well i just wish um you know across the board our our leaders would sort of embrace what's happening uh it seems to me these fuel prices particularly right now there's a crunch in fuel prices you know Mm. um they're saying it's not going to last long but that all depends Mm. on iran and saudi arabia and Mm. um they haven't been the best pals for a while 
and or Trump. This is a wild card in there as well. No, no, no. There's nothing erratic in that formula, is there? <laughs> what did you say? Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Trump. No, no, that'll all be good. Yeah, totally it's, predictable. It's all fine. It's all fine. <laughs> Also, the world economy is looking very dodgy. So we could see really, really ballistic petrol prices for a long time or oh. from forever. Almost know. certainly. Um, the, the oil prices, oil industry is now in its death spiral, I think. It's, that's, that, that's what we're looking at is they've got to a point where they, they can't afford for the price to go up too much because it becomes uneconomic to, 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 to compete with, the, with electrics and others and they can't afford to, for it to go too, down too far because then they can't afford to dig it out of the ground anymore. It, it really has. We've, peaked, we've passed peak oil and we we're now, we're now heading into a whole new clean green era of, uh, of renewable transport. Yeah, well, what we need is for our leaders to embrace that and mm. take us that direction. We've got Japan and South Korea saying we want hydrogen, we want to have hydrogen in the mix for our economy, mm. and um, we're just refusing. We're just steadfastly refusing to, to move off from fossil fuels, mm. but Blind Freddy can see that the fossil fuels are dead in the water. Yeah. Did you see through the week Adani got knocked back on his insurance policy. Wasn't that great for, news? Yeah. When I mean, they were already scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. That was an American company, sort of the last that had to go overseas to find them. And then they said, well, no, maybe not. We wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. So there's almost I wouldn't no touch it with his barge pole. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, where to from here? He can't do it unless he's insured. It, it doesn't leave too many options. Is our government going to pick up the insurance risk? Mm, no, they're not, obviously. Well, well maybe maybe they'll, they'll, they'll promise to, but that's like any other promise they make. I don't think they're going to be in a position to do any of that. But you talk about our leaders, and I think you're right, but the, the reality is that the leadership in this space is taken by those multinational corporations who uh, have done so much wrong over the years. But in this situation, what do car companies do for us? They sell us cars, you know, and what have they done? How have they gone about selling us cars for the whole, the whole of the car industry's history is by adding some new feature to the car, some nebulous new button or light or doodad that they, they add so that, that makes it different from this, this year's one model, different from last year's model. Or if you're VW pretending that you did. Well, is it, in <laughs> fact, all of the various car companies that were faking their emissions. How out, long out. has it taken them with those internal combustion engines to get a tiny bit more efficient? Mm. Like they've been there for a century. Mm. They've had the market for a century and they've gone bugger all mm. more efficient yeah no that's right but this is the great leap forward for the for the for the transport industry this is comparable to uh the changeover from uh horse and cart to the infernal combustion motor we're now looking at the infernal combustion motor going the way of the horse and cart and the electric motor coming along to replace it and as bridey was saying there's all of these extra bonuses that we can get including having battery storage parked in our garage uh you know it, it, that's a real game changer they've been sort of hoping for that to come about, but I did hear this um, guy who worked in Tesla saying that it wasn't going to happen because the cooling requirements for those big batteries were so sophisticated that you couldn't, um, you know, plug into the grid without the cooling system running as well, Uh, but obviously they've got around that. Yeah, right. The other thing is the whole new, you know, world of battery research happening out there too. Yeah. Anyway, I think we should move on. Uh, that was uh, really interesting. But Two more little things. China, because of its massive market, is leading this now um, because it's the biggest market in the world for EVs and um, it is the biggest market bar none for all vehicles yeah. and, and all of the marks are trying to find um, EVs to put into China. China's manufacturing its own, but all of the marks are coming with mm. their own and you're not going to be able to buy a petrol engine for love nor money mm. down the track. 
Yeah, good news. It is good. And and Wales, I see through the week, is talking about putting in um, compulsory EV charging in all new homes. Fantastic. So your development's going to have to have an EV charging Yeah, well, that station. makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It does. That's it awesome. Does. Well, look, moving on, we've had a, um, a, a big week. We're still trying to, uh, to catch up with everything. Though. Earlier in the week, we had a meeting in Lismore for the uh, our forests under attack. Uh, the Berejiklian government has declared war on our forests and uh, we put together a report uh, from the recording of those uh, that meeting uh, so that anyone who wasn't there or anyone who was can catch up with uh, what was said and the actions that uh, are coming up in future. So there's a lot of good stuff in here. Our forests are under attack. The New South Wales government is pushing ahead with plans to open up thousands of hectares of beautiful old-growth forests to logging via rezoning. But together we can stop this disastrous plan. People gathered on Monday the 30th of September at the Lismore City Bowling Club for an update about the statewide campaign to save old growth forests across New South Wales. Speakers from the local campaigns to save Braemar's koalas south of Casino and videos of the Kalang Forest Protectors near Bellingen. These forests at risk are places of living Aboriginal cultural heritage and are critical habitat for threatened wildlife such as koalas, gliders, quolls, frogs and owls. They are important for culture, carbon stores, biodiversity, recreation and tourism and a crucial part of our water supplies. The inspiring lineup of speakers was introduced by Annie O'Shaughnessy. Uncle James Henderson from the Nullingbar Land Council is going to do us the honour of welcoming us to country. Thanks a lot, Annie. And the, the, the old growth forest is important, not only to our children, our, our future, but also the air that we breathe and the water that we drink. You know, it's, it's very important. And it's only because People like us, as a community, want to stand up now to the government. Thank you on behalf of the Nullingar Land Council and the Widgeville White Lawyers. Cindy Roberts is a proud Widgeville Wible woman and she's a, if you've ever heard her speak before, you'll know she's a powerful advocate for our forests as well. And I think she's going to speak... Oh, the, sorry, the boys are going to dance first, and then we'll hear from her. Thank you so much. Cindy Roberts, I'll let you introduce yourself. Since I come on board, um, meeting everyone and going out to Braemar and, you know, um, this all means a lot to us as the Widgeable Wible, you know, Banjalung, Banjalung, um, people of this nation, you know, because if we don't do something together as, as and we, like in partnership and coexist, 
If we allow this to happen, we, there is no future. Because the Burabi, the Namal, you know, um, the Guraman, but everything else, it all connects, you know, and when these things um, are, are destroyed and they're desecrated and they're damaged, it also kills us as the caretakers and the protectors of the land. See, it is our God-given right that we have a responsibilities as the, as the, as the traditional owners, but as the caretakers that, you know, we protect. But not only does it, we have to protect it when, it, when it's destroyed, it kills us spiritually. Not only does it affect us, but it also affects everybody, generations to come. Our children, you know, what are we going to leave for them if we don't have this alliance? What, 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 is, what is left for their future? Like, you think about your children now and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. What is going to be left for them if we ain't standing up, you know, for what is right? We're here today because we stand in alliance to fight for our future, to fight for our generations protecting the forest because the land, the trees, the water, everything is connected. The wildlife, it all has a purpose in life and why it exists is for a reason because it's a cycle, you know, like and 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 everything as 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 a purpose of its existence into the land and caring for the land and protecting the land. But we need to do it together, you know, because it's who we are as, as, as the Widjibu Wabu, you know, people. And it's also who you are, you know, as our, as our friends, you know, as our... We're like family when we come together. It's not about colour. It's not about race. It's not about any of that. It's about working together that we can make a difference and stand for what's right for our, for our children and, and generations to come. It's so important that we do this all together because, you know, with the, with, with, with the force, we've seen what the CSG, look, look, what, look what happened. You know, with one, it, it, it was the power of the people that made the difference. <laughs> and we can do it again. And we, you know, CSG free, 97%, 87%. How about we, we 100% for our forests and our wildlife? Thank you, everyone, for coming. So to start off with, we will have somebody who probably doesn't need any introduction in this forum, but I will introduce him anyway, Dylan Pugh, who was recently inducted into the Nature Conservation Council's um, Hall of Fame. <laughs> Is a North Coast environmentalist, of course, and a founding member of the North East Forest Alliance in um, 1989, of which he's currently the president. Uh, Dylan was admitted into, uh, in 2004 to the Order of Australia Medal for his services in forest conservation. So welcome, Dylan. So 
today, uh, today I'm going to focus on uh, uh, the Burubi koalas, and um, uh, uh, particularly in in uh, the area of Brain Mar State Forest, which we've been focusing on recently. So, just to put this all in context, uh, I just want to talk about what a koala high use area is. Now, basically, we look for these these koala shits, and when we find enough of them, it gets called a koala high use area. Now, this isn't our invention. This is what they used to have to do for the last 20 years. Forestry had to thoroughly search for koala scats ahead of logging. And if they found enough scats, it became what they called a koala high-use area and they weren't allowed to log it. Unfortunately, they didn't find many. So when you find um, 20 scats or a live koala or different size scats showing a, 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 a mother and a, and a joey, that becomes a trigger tree and you're required to do these uh, eight radiating uh, transects around it to assess whether there's evidence of koala usage on those transects. And it's only when you find three other trees on one of these 100 metre transects that it becomes a koala high use area and gets a 20 metre buffer. It, it was at least something. There was some attempt to protect a little bit of koala habitat. And if they had done it properly, they should have extended that out to identify uh, the full extent of that koala high use area. In 2012, we went to Royal Camp to check out logging was well underway by then. Uh, they logged most of uh, around where that other koala high use area was. And um, uh, we caught them logging a koala high use area. There were koala scats everywhere. It was evident that uh, uh, it was and should have been protected as a high use area. Uh, and we found uh, four other areas nearby they were about to log. So here we had this important koala area, and yet they had, hadn't identified any uh, koala scats there at all. They'd been required to look before logging. We called for logging to stop, and it stopped the next day. And the EPA and the and forestry themselves confirmed our findings that they were logging koala high-use areas. And then, you know, two weeks later, they started logging in another part of Royal Camps, the State Forest, and logged another koala high-use area, we found after the event, because uh, they hadn't been looking for koala scats again, and they go and logged another one. And then we found another one. So as a result of that, the EPA gave them three $300 fines, $900, for, um, for just the one offence, the very first koala high-use area. And the um, Forestry Corporation were totally unrepentant, and they said it's like staying too long in a parking lot. That's what they said on ABC Radio. That's what they, that's what they thought it was, a minor offence. Uh, and look, they hadn't been doing this for 15 years. They had been ignoring these koala high-use areas by and large. Uh, and they refused to change to do proper thorough searches before logging. They just, blatantly refused. Uh, and over the last 20 years, they've identified about 200 hectares of these koala high-use areas, uh, logging hundreds of thousands of hectares of forest. There's more koalas out there than that, uh, and more important areas, but they just refuse to protect them. So um, this is uh, the next year in another, another part of Royal Camp, Compartment 13, they decided to uh, log another area and they said there's nil koalas there, no koalas whatsoever. So we went in and uh, in a brief, in, in one day we found uh, two more koala high use areas and, and we later, later found more. Um, so again we had them, uh, uh, the EPA came out and, and checked it and agreed. And uh, uh, the, uh, we then recommended, because of all these findings, koala scats, the whole of Royal Camp be, be protected. 
And um, uh, they, the EPA, uh, at the minister's uh, 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 request, considered the, the regional significance and agreed that we, this was a regionally significant area. Steve uh, uh, Phillips did the assessment and said it should be considered at all, uh, important at all levels of assessment. Uh, and the EPA recommended that forestry stop in the area until they'd done their new, their new logging rules, the new IFOA. Uh, and later forestry engaged a scat detection dog, finding a density of one koala per 2.8 hectares. And, um, and, and then we proposed both Royal Camp and um, nearby Kawong State Forest at the Sandy Creek National Park for koalas. So the EPA, as part of a, their uh, identification of uh, how to identify koalas across the landscape, did assessment of Royal Camp and Kawong, and they found that 80% of Kawong and 58% uh, and, and of Royal Camp State Forest is utilised by koalas. Now, you can see there's a big gap here in the middle in uh, Royal Camp, and that's because that's the area they logged before we, uh, we stopped them. Um, and the EPA found that koalas prefer larger feed trees, over 30 centimetres diameter, and this has been found by many other uh, people before them, uh, and usage increases with tree size. So this is grey gum, when you, um, uh, this is at the usage, so from zero to 50%, and this is the size. So the larger the tree gets, the more, more, more koalas use it. So when you get down to sort of 20 centimetre, diameter trees, only about one in five of the trees are being used, which is an important figure you'll find out later on. They also found they prefer uh, areas of least disturbance, so not too recently logged, and they prefer areas with more than 50% mature and over-mature trees. Now, this is important because this is telling us that koalas prefer larger trees and, and forests that's been least disturbed. So here we're dealing with disturbed forests, but the more they recover from logging, the better the koala habitat is. And they used a, um, a scat detection dog again, this was the EPA, and they found a relatively high density in Royal Camp, you know, heavily, uh, recently disturbed, and a, um, a very high density in Kawong. We've been out there again recently, since, since July this year, in an area adjacent to uh, Kawong, that is now proposed for logging. And we've been doing our own uh, koala surveys and these are all our records, all these red. We've been doing scat searches, looking for evidence of koala high use areas. Um, and before us, the, so the forestry uh, were intending to log it in August this year. They'd marked it up already, gone around and marked all their trees. They identified one koala high use area of 0.9 hectares for protection. Uh, and outside that, they're going to retain five trees per hectare greater than 30 centimetres diameter, which we know is the threshold size for koalas. So, um, but we will find these koala high use areas everywhere. You know, our very first inspection, we found three hectares that we believe was the koala high use area, and we knew there was a lot more there. So we wrote to the Premier asking uh, for a full assessment and protection of all the koala high use areas. I mean, we just thought we were being beneficial for koalas by going out there. We thought, oh great, we're identifying this habitat. This will be protected. Aren't we doing something useful? Because we'd had a bad experience just before in Gibbergee where no matter what we did, they wouldn't look. Um, so instead of protecting these koala high use areas, they switched to the new logging rules. So these came into place in 2018, but they're taking a while to implement them. Um, and in, rather than protecting koala high use areas, rather than looking before you log, no need to look anymore before you log for koalas, uh, they only have to retain five feed trees per hectare 
And there are these little ones, these 20 centimetres diameter. So these ones that one in five is going to be used by koalas, they're only retaining five of them. How many of them are going to be used by koalas? Have a guess. Um, so uh, we've now identified 165 trees with koala scats in the, in the logging area, including 67 high-use trees, which under the old rules, they would have to do the, the radiating transects around and identify whether it's a high-use area or not. And, and we estimate that um, over 100 hectares, uh, that's uh, 50, over half of the logging area, uh, would qualify as koala high-use areas if that rule still applied. But unfortunately, it doesn't anymore. Um, so, as a result of that, uh, you know, here we have... Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental As Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.